1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, I mean, Coach Frost is an
0: unbelievable man. Um, I think I, he he mentored me through this process, believe it or not. And um, you know, I think he is exactly what you want your coach to be like. You know, as far as being a player's coach, because he gets it, man. He he's been there, done that. You know, it was great for me to talk to a you know another Husker quarterback. You know, the guy who just understands what. Uh, the, the, what comes with the position. So I was able to talk to him a lot about that. And, you know, he, he laid out, you know, what he thought was best for him and best for Nebraska. You know, told me if I wanted to stay that, you know, I'm more than welcome to stay and he would love to have me. And, uh, you know, I'd be his guy and uh, we would roll from there. And, you know, I believe him. I believe him. And after that, you know, he, he told me that to also do what's best for me. You know, he can't he can't tell me what's best for me because,
1: you know, we, we, we didn't know each other we don't know each other that well. And, you um, so he definitely laid out to me, that you know, he can't tell me what to do because it's up to me, and that he'll support me either way. He's got my back, and things like that, and you know, anything that I needed to talk to him about, you know, I felt comfortable calling, and uh, he was there through it all. So I really appreciate him.
2: And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washet. We're fresh back from the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, as we got to spend an entire uh three, four days uh, with Scott Frost and his coaching staff. But we start off this week's Husker Online Show. Uh, about the NFL draft, and really it all started uh, as far as involving Husker players. It broke right after our show ended a week ago on Thursday, Uh, Quarterback Tanner Lee announced uh, that he will be declaring uh, basically forgoing what would be a six-year of college to go into the NFL draft. You just heard Tanner Lee. We got uh, the only interview with Tanner um, following his departure from Nebraska here at HuskerOnline.com and um, gave some pretty good insight to how Scott Frost operated throughout the process. Well, since Tanner Lee's decision... Um, We learned on Monday that Nick Gates, uh, probably the shocker of all of them, uh, will not be coming back to Nebraska for what would be his fifth year. He's declaring for the NFL draft. Many guys look at uh, the offensive tackle at Nebraska, though, as a guard at the next level. So that even kind of makes it even more of a head-scratching decision because typically guards do not declare early. It's usually only tackles on the offensive line as guards just do not carry the premium draft value that a tackle position carries. And then lastly, uh, late on Wednesday evening, quarter, uh, wide receiver Stanley Morgan made his announcement that he will be returning to Nebraska for his fourth year, his senior season, after having a record-breaking year. This was probably the biggest one of them all, Robin, uh, that Scott Frost now knows he has J.D. Spielman, he has Stanley Morgan, he has Tyjon Lindsey, Javon McQuitty, a pretty good base of receivers to work with, along with Jaron Woodyard, a junior college recruit coming in, and potentially whoever else they sign.
3: Yeah, all of a sudden, that receiver group looks pretty deep uh, compared to where it potentially could have been. Uh, maybe even a month ago. So uh, that's a huge, 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 huge news for Nebraska. I mean, you got a guy who's probably um, already regarded as one of the best receivers in program history and now has a chance to establish himself uh, statistically speaking, and maybe even more so, as the greatest receiver in program history, if all goes as planned in this new Scott Frost offense, and so we talked about it before, um, you know how this was probably the best move for him. I, I mean, he had a chance to make a, a jump and probably had you know a, an outside chance of being drafted. Um, I think you know one scouting service NFL draft scout had him as the number twenty receiver out of two hundred and fifty wide receivers. Well, especially
2: t- when you see other guys in the Big Ten declaring, and Stanley yeah. might have been better than those guys.
3: Yeah, I mean statistically. He was right up near the top when you look at where he finished you know, in receptions per game. Uh, he led the league in uh, receiving yards per game. Uh, so, I mean, he had the numbers to back it up, but uh, I think his profile stands to make a huge jump this year under Scott Frost. We've seen... What they can do for wide receivers. I mean, they just had a Blitnikov finalist. Uh, he's going to be coached by a Blitnikov winner. I mean, that there's a you can't put a, a value on how much that is uh, important for him. So I, mean, I think it was the right move, and definitely from Nebraska's sake, you couldn't have asked for better news.
2: You're listening here to the Oscar Online Show as we discuss the NFL Draft and 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 kind of how things have shaken out here before this January 15th deadline. And let's talk Nate Gates. I mean, this this one. Um, I was in a cab heading to the Atlanta airport following the Peach Bowl. I get a text saying Nick Gates has texted all the offensive linemen. He's going pro. And I almost like, I believe this guy. Uh, But, man, I almost wanted to get it again. So I texted somebody else and uh, got that confirmed. And I I, I was just like, wow. I mean, this guy really just must not want to be a part of it. It it doesn't make any sense to me uh, because he just did not have the kind of junior season um, that garnered declaring early. And I thought it really has gone downhill for Nick since the ankle injury last season, his sophomore season. He hurt his ankle. He played in Mike Riley's second year with that bad ankle just didn't look right, didn't look anything like his redshirt freshman year when he beat out Zach Stirrup, who was a Week 17 starter for the Dolphins. Um, and then, then the bowl game against Derek Barnett, a first-round draft pick against Tennessee, probably one of the worst offensive line games you'll see a tackle play. I mean, just completely owned by the best player in the SEC. And, and Nick just never, to me, had – that kind of year, Robin. It just—it's—it's it's hard. I—I I just think this
3: is a guy that said, you know what,
2: I need to re-energize myself, and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, I mean,
3: I think the the writing was on the wall there uh, about kind of where uh, he was going to fit into the grand scheme of things. You know, that left side of the offensive line. You know, there was a lot of talk about the right tackle and whatnot, and right guard competitions. That left side struggled uh, a lot you know, with penalties, with just blocking breakdowns. Uh, and so for a guy to think that all of a sudden his stock is high enough to make a jump from a football standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. And so clearly there's more layers involved here. And I think that probably he had some extensive conversations uh, with Scott Frost, with Greg Austin, uh, just about kind of what was lying ahead here and probably didn't hear what he wanted to hear. And so, you know, he's probably just going to you know, roll the dice and take a shot at the NFL. And I guess maybe moving to guard that helps him a little little bit because we've seen him struggle you know tackling those pass rushers out in space so maybe you move him inside and you you know get him in the box he's a not a bit. tackle in the nfl yeah and I there's mean, no way to no, tackle in the no, nfl no he's not even 300 pounds so uh yeah so i, I think that it's you know a, a head scratcher for a lot of different reasons and you know but here's the thing i didn't think alex lewis was going to be a starting offensive lineman in the nfl or, zach, or zach stirrup i mean so i mean sometimes
2: jeremiah searles
3: Yeah, so, yeah exactly and so there's plenty of guys that have surprised you know, with their success at the next level, maybe Nick can be another one of those. But right now, I just don't see it.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Uh, Sean Callahan, Robin Washet, as we discuss draft stuff, and, and then um, Tanner Lee. I think most of us knew that he was probably gone. Um, you know, and I find it interesting too. A lot of people, you know, were—I were, mean, they didn't think there was any guarantee. I mean, there was no guarantee he'd be the starter, but people acted like he was just going to be shown the door as a second-class citizen by Scott Frost. And you heard his remarks to me at the open of the show. Frost was very, very good to Tanner Lee, wanted him to stay. And he would have opened up spring ball as the starting quarterback and then gone from there. Maybe he would have got beat out by Adrian Martinez or somebody else. But th- to act like Scott Frost had been like, Tanner lee is going to run third string, no way. I mean, he was a captain, threw for 3,200 yards. He was going to have to have the job taken from him, in my opinion. And, and that was not really a risk he wanted to take. I don't, after watching the Peach Bowl Robin, um, I don't think he's a fit in this system, no. and and, and he, he knows that.
3: Yeah, I mean, we, you saw the value of being a dual threat quarterback has in Scott Frost's system. I mean, Mackenzie Milton made so many plays with his feet, not only just running the football, but avoiding pressure and cre- creating, you know, in the pocket extending plays, and there were open receivers on every play, and so I just don't think Tanner has that ability, and that's not a knock on him. Uh, there are very few quarterbacks you know I should say it's a very specific quarterback that Frost needs for this offense to excel and those skill sets just don't fit Tanner but uh, you know even after the fact even though people were saying Tanner Lee has no chance of getting drafted you know there are guys like Chris Mortensen who probably know a little bit more about the process than a lot of people uh, that insist that he will second be, to fourth round exactly and if you're a second to fourth round pick in the NFL that's pretty good so um, you know I guess the quarterback competition, you know, in, as far as the NFL draft is concerned, got a little crowded with the expected uh, early departures of Josh Rosen at UCLA and Sam Darnold at USC. But still, I, I think when all is said and done, especially after the combine, when teams get a chance to talk to Tanner Lee, they see how smart, level headed, and poised, uh, and just professional he is and everything that he does. That's going to boost his stock in a big way. And we all know about his arm strength. It's just the consistency with the accuracy. If he can overcome that, he's definitely got a chance to make a roster.
2: All right. when we come back, we're going to shift our discussion over to the Peach Bowl. Robin and I were down in Atlanta all week. Uh, We'll give our thoughts on what we saw at the practices and uh, around Coach Frost and his assistants, um, as well as the game. Then uh, we'll we'll talk some Nebraska basketball as Tim Miles' crew got a huge road win at Northwestern and they play Purdue Saturday. Um, We'll get a preview of that game from Robin. Uh, Then we'll take your questions in the mailbag, followed by some recruiting talk to close the show. That's all next year. You're listening to this week's edition of the Husker Online Show.
1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
3: Uh, I didn't know if we'd have a chance or not, but I thought us coaches being here
1: would give them the best chance. I can't believe they did this, they pulled this off under these circumstances, it's a credit to these kids. This was big, you know, you, everybody can kind of see what we do
0: and, and uh, you know, we didn't, this was Rocky IV, I was tweeting about it, I mean it was Ivan Drago versus Rocky and our guys bought into it and uh, we, we slayed the Dragon today.
2: Yeah, because it was hard, you know, the, the head ball coach gave him credit because he, he ran himself ragged this last month. Um, so I'm, I'm as happy for him as I am for all of our players because uh, they earned it, man. They, they, they deserve to go out like this. It's a great group of, of men, high character, and, and they earned this. And welcome back here to the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan and Robin Watch. At this segment brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill as it is your place to watch Monday's National Championship game um, as well as all the NFL wildcard playoff action this weekend. Get into any one of the seven Tanner's locations in Omaha And Lincoln and um, Robin, you just heard from Scott Frost, Ryan held Nebraska's new running backs coach Barrett rude soon to be announced as Nebraska's 10th assistant coach following the peach bowl. We were on the field for the celebration, man, it was quite a week And, and I wrote this after the game. It was a gamble. In a lot of respects, the way Frost handled the month, it was a gamble with recruiting at Nebraska. Would they be able to really get it all done, what they wanted to do, knowing they had to almost start from scratch, they were able to get that done? It was a gamble in the sense, could they really get their team focused and prepared when the players knew that they were losing these coaches well, they proved that that was worth it, and the players uh, were more than focused and prepared. They had a great game plan, and then most importantly, could they win? Uh, could they really physically match up, and if they were to lose that game, what kind of damage would that have maybe have done to what they accomplished over their 12-0 season? Well, it didn't matter. They went out and won. They looked impressive, um, and, and you could argue that they hit the jackpot. I mean, really um, – nobody I don't think could have predicted the entire month has gone as smooth as it's gone and it's gone about as well as you could have drawn it up
3: yeah this was a win 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 situation for all parties involved obviously Scott Frost uh, like you said took that gamble and won big Um, he put himself through uh, a grueling month of travel and coaching and juggling two different jobs uh, but it paid off and his stock nationally could not be higher um, no, no matter what what would have happened, and so um, clearly that was the he, the right thing that he wanted to do. You know, was you know, determined to finish this thing out, and it, it paid off in a major way. And then for Nebraska, um, you know, they they kind of had to put their ego aside a little bit because you know they finally hire their dream coach. The fan base is all jacked up, and then you're going to let him you know go back to Orlando and keep coaching another team while he's on the clock with you while uh, you're in the first ever year of the early December signing period. And so um, that was a risk for Nebraska. Uh, and it paid off because not only did they get you know essentially um, a four-hour you know infomercial like Bill moose wanted uh, they did some work on the recruiting front too you know landing a pretty sig- um, significant class in that early signing period despite um, you know and this the short only helps turnaround. It now. exactly and now you have huge momentum going over the next month or two so uh, yes Nebraska won big and then Central Florida they had to put their ego aside a little bit because they just had a coach uh, decide to move on uh, on the heels of what is was regarded as the greatest season in program history to come back and still coach your bowl game, you know, while you're in the middle of a coaching search. And uh, so Danny White, he took a gamble too by letting this thing continue for and another And he does month. not have a small ego. Let's he play. does not. And so that, I mean, that kind of speaks volumes a little bit that uh, all three parties were able to kind of work together on this and all three won in a major way. You're listening here to the Husker Online show,
2: Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we discuss what we saw this week. Uh, in the peach bowl. And I think Robin, we both said this immediately. The the I mean, we knew McKinsey Milton what he can do. We knew this offense. But man, Eric Shenander in the defense. I mean, that was hot take city for all everybody on Twitter the last month about this transition. Is Shenander going to be the right fit. And he gave us some very good insight, I thought, um, before the bowl on Saturday when we were in Orlando – or in Atlanta, um, interviewing him at the media deal that they had. And, you know, he talked about just sometimes when you play in a system like we play, uh, all bets are off what type of game it's going to be. And you typically know right away, is it going to be a buckle it up, you know, um, type of game, or is it going to be a game where the defense is going to have to pick it up? And I thought his defense kept – Central Florida in that game early because McKenzie Milton, he started out 2 of 14. Uh, they really could not get a rhythm on offense, but um, the con- the consistent play, the three and outs he provided, the tackling in space. I mean, Auburn could not do anything. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't throw the bubble screen. Uh, they were able to connect on some passes down the field um, in one-on-one 50-50s, um, and that's going to happen in any football game. But in general, I thought he was probably – the biggest takeaway or surprise going mm-hmm.
3: in that we didn't expect. Yeah. And so earlier in the week uh, when they did the coordinator press conferences, you know, I asked Shenander a uh, really kind of just general uh, conceptual question about, you know, what his defense is and kind of his philosophies about how they play defense. And, you know, he basically broke it down saying that um, we want to take away our opponent's strengths, you know, so if they're a running team, we're going to stop the run first and foremost, we're going to set the tone early by attacking and being aggressive right off the bat, uh, to you know, rush the passer. You know, try and create some turnovers, um, and then kind of create sparks that way. Uh, and then you know, he basically said that, like you said, with the offense that they run, you know, it's it's inevitable that you're going to give up yards, that you're going to give up some points because you're going to be on the field a lot. But if he was concerned about his own stats, he would go to you know somewhere where they run the ball, a pro style. Yeah, yeah pro style. When you have nine grunt. to eleven possessions a game. Exactly. So. All of that played out to a T in that Auburn game. That uh, Central Florida was on the field for 80, their defense on the field for 87 plays. Auburn held a 10 minute advantage in time of possession. Uh, and yet uh, they were able to create three turnovers, including the game clinching, uh, pick six, and then the final interception in the end zone. Uh, they were able to sack Auburn six times, including five in the first half. So set the tone right away. And then they were able to hold Auburn uh, which is, you know, a team that likes to run the football, which that was kind of regarded as the big, biggest mismatch was how Central Florida was going to match up with Auburn's offensive line. Uh, they held them to under 100 yards despite running 87 plays. So, I mean, all those things uh, played out exactly as Shanander, you know, d- talked about. And so I think that is really a glimpse of what the ideal look this defense is going to be at Nebraska and the types of characteristics they're going to want to have and how they're going to play on a week-to-week basis. And they
2: overcame a critical officiating mistake there in the final minute. Uh, Auburn, if you remember, um, took a tackle and bounce with 34 seconds left. They had a player go down with injury, uh, which is an automatic 10-second runoff at 34 seconds. The officials announced it was a 10-second runoff. Well, they forgot to take 10 seconds off the clock. Auburn came back out on the field. The clock was still at 34 seconds. Um, And that was huge. I mean, they, they, uh, I was talking to Ryan Held after the game, and he said, man, that was a big mistake. That luckily they were able to overcome that with the interception on the following play, but it should have been at 24 seconds with an immediate clock wind, which, you know, would have maybe held Auburn to possibly two to three plays versus three to four. Um, In the grand scheme of a game like that, that's huge.
3: Yeah. And so they overcame a critical play like that. They overcame maybe or. Probably uh, their worst offensive performance and of the There were some season. pretty
2: bad holdings not called that pe- it appeared. I mean, and that's every football. Yeah. I'm not going to be the holding guy because I hate the holding guy. I mean, on Twitter and every Nebraska game, the, the hold guy blows up my feed.
3: Yeah. So, they, you know, there was a lot that went against him in that game, and yet they went to the neutral site in SEC's backyard and beat... The, the capital of the SEC. And beat one of the top three, maybe, maybe you can make an argument for higher, uh, teams in the SEC conference and beat them by a touchdown. I mean, that... That says a lot about this coaching staff and just kind of the mentality that they instill in their players, the mental toughness uh, that they you know, are able to get out of these guys. And so I think as much as anything, that has to excite Nebraska fans as much, of anything. It's just the culture that hopefully they're going to be able to create here in Lincoln.
2: And the story, I think, for us that we're going to be talking about as quarterback can they really, Robin, um, develop their McKenzie Milton? Will it be Adrian Martinez? Will it be O'Brien? Will it be Jebbie? Will it be somebody else? Uh, but yeah, they're not done yet. I mean, that, that that's going to be something we'll talk about uh, more and more here down the road. Uh, the quarterback position, um, and can they find that guy? I guess McKenzie Milton, as we saw in this game, was the difference. All right, when we come back, um, we're going to shift the discussion over to Nebraska basketball as the Huskers got a big win on the road against Northwestern. They're on the road again, though, this weekend as they'll be at Purdue. We'll give our thoughts on Saturday's game next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
1: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online show as we shift the conversation here over to Nebraska basketball as Tim Miles and his crew get a huge win as they begin the second half of the Big Ten Conference play. It's hard to get used to that as Nebraska already opened up Big 10 play in December but this is the the beginning of the final 16 game stretch they get a 70 to 55 win at Northwestern on Tuesday night they will play an afternoon game at Purdue Saturday at That that is a Big 10 network broadcast then they'll be back home on Tuesday night for a 7:30 p.m. game against Wisconsin before going back out to Penn State for a Friday night game uh, on the 12th. So uh, three of the first four off the break, Robin, at, at home or, or uh, on the road. And they do what they had to do in getting a win um, at a place that a lot of people don't think Nebraska had a chance to win here in this opening Big Ten second half game.
3: Yeah, this was a really important uh, swing game. Uh, You know, we talked about what they needed to do going into the meat of conference play To stay on track for an NCAA tournament, and first and foremost, they got to defend home court. But second, was find ways to get you know a couple road victories. Those are so important in building a tournament resume during the, like I said, the grind of of conference play. And to start things off um, with a win at Northwestern. Granted, you know there are a lot of asterisks there. They didn't Northwestern didn't have Bryant McIntosh, their star senior point guard. They're playing at a site arena in Rosemont, Illinois. Uh, Students weren't in session. They actually didn't even have their own band there. They had a school band fill in. Hey, uh, so it's like the Maryland game. That's last what I'm year. saying. The environment wasn't, but you know what? That doesn't show up on the final standings. What shows up is Nebraska went to Northwestern quote unquote, and got a 15 point victory. That's huge. This is a preseason top 25 team uh, that is coming off their greatest season in program history. And yes, it was ugly at first. Uh, and it, you know, kind of was basically a rock fight for the first you know 30 minutes of that game, but Nebraska turned it on and blew the game open, uh, you know? So with, with all those advantages that were in their favor they took advantage and so now you look ahead uh, they're playing with house money against Purdue on Saturday I mean that's a that's a game that you know there'll be severe underdogs um, there were stories coming up this week that Purdue is emerging as a potential final four team along with Michigan State so they are clearly separating as you know some of the elite of the conference so but whatever that's kind of you throw that in with Michigan State it's a whatever game uh, if they get blown out it's not going to be you know, No one's going to even bat an eye. But then you come home to Wisconsin, who is struggling mightily. That's a winnable game for sure. And then you go on the road to Penn State, and that's another one just like Northwestern, one of those swing games. Penn State's much better, but Nebraska certainly has a chance, if they play uh, the way that they played at the end of that Northwestern game, to go to State College and get another crucial uh, road victory in the conference. You're listening here to
2: the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we discuss Nebraska basketball. Now 11-5, and 2-1. and one. In the Big Ten, uh, heading into Saturday's 115 game at Purdue. And, you know, I think the depth, Robin, of this Nebraska lineup really showed. You look at Northwestern, they had three guys that played 35 minutes or more, where Nebraska only had Glenn Watson play 35 minutes or more. Um, they're able to really just rotate in so many lineups, so many bodies. Heck, we saw Tanner Borkhart come in. Play 12 minutes. Jordy Shimanga, only 10 minutes. That's a whole other um, topic yeah. of discussion. <laughs> we'll but, get to that. Um, just the... Uh, you know, Isaiah Roby would start for a lot of teams, and they only played him 19 minutes in this game uh, at Northwestern. I just think the the options and the depth that we
3: see um, in this lineup, it's been impressive. That's the biggest difference between this team and previous teams, is the fact that if one or two guys has a bad night, so for instance, um, you know, against Northwestern, Evan Taylor was 0-5 from the field and didn't score a point. That's your starting two-guard. and You're getting that kind of production out of him, and they still win by 15 on the road. Ten
2: guys played in this game.
3: Yeah, and so I mean, you look at it in the season stats. They got, what, four... Guys averaging over eight points a game. They got five different guys or no six different guys averaging over 19 minutes a game. And so that depth that we talked about all off season, and you know how they had the more talent and depth than Miles has ever had. That's showing. Uh, I mean, the, the, it's getting production from a whole lot of different players. And when you look at what happened last year, yes, they started three and zero in conference play, but they fizzled out in a hurry because Ty Webster, Glenn Watson, uh, they just wore down. Uh, and they, they couldn't you know they needed help and there was nobody there to help them. This is a different team. They have more options. They have more uh, you know versatility with that lineup, and that's going to pay off huge. As we all have seen, um, the grind of the Big Ten can really test a team.
2: Well, and when you can just see guys like Isaac Copeland and James Palmer, um, you know, coming down Isaiah Roby, just tomahawk dunking um, on on what. You know, years past Nebraska basketball teams are lucky to even get that ball over the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, th- just the athletic ability to finish around the rim is something we haven't seen. And it showed up even Robin in the shot block category. 14 blocks? Are you kidding me? Yep. Um, I mean, you got a guy that played 10 minutes and Dubay that had three blocks. I mean, off the bench, Copeland gets you three blocks. I mean, that they just didn't get that kind of athletic ability in production
3: in past years. Yeah, it's the most uh, in a conference game in school history, and the most since 2005 when they had 12 against Colorado. And, you know, so uh, there, there's a lot of knock about Nebraska, you know, not having that legit center, but they have rim protection. Who would have been the
2: center in 12 that got all the blocks that game? Uh,
3: to, or 2005. Uh, that would have been, was that March? No, that was before March. Gosh, dang, I'm getting old. Uh, It might have been March. It may have been. Uh, Okay, so they... Uh, have rim protectors. And so they don't, they have, you know, your big body and Jordy, who's really struggling. You have Doobie, who that is his specialty, all time leading shot blocker in, at Winthrop. Uh, but Isaac Copeland has been an extremely good shot blocker. Isaiah Roby has been very good. At, I think Isaiah, yeah, Roby leads the team in blocks with 27 on the year. So, uh, I mean, that that in itself, you know, we talked about the versatility. I mean, not only can you put guys on the court uh, for offensive purposes, but when you have a Copeland Roby lineup, those are your two best shots blockers on the team statistically right now uh that you know can do it on both ends and uh that's that's again that that is so valuable to make it through this league uh, and something that tim miles hasn't really had since he's been here
2: and if you're wondering 2005 was a wes wilkinson jason russo uh, yeah. Al- alex march led team joe mccray um those are kind of your four uh, leading scores Jamel long, Jamel long wing
3: long wings and a, and a shot blocking center i mean that was, I see some parallels there. That was one of Barry's last teams, wasn't it? Yeah. I believe. Well, 2007 was Doc's first year, so 06 was Barry's last year.
2: So, yeah, um, that was uh, a long time ago, nonetheless. You're, <laughs> you're listening here to uh, the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we uh, continue Nebraska basketball discussion. And I think it leads you to believe uh, the next topic is the lineup, Robin. What, yeah. what do you anticipate Tim Miles doing? I mean, everybody could see that that last lineup on the floor at the end – Um, when Isaiah Roby and then uh, Copeland are really your two big guys um, that that gave them the most scoring options, and it was the hardest to guard. It appeared.
3: Yeah, I think anybody that watches Nebraska when that lineup's on the floor says, "Wow, that's their best five, and it's really not even close. And uh, John Crispin, the BTN color analyst during that uh, Northwestern that's all he talked game, about. yeah, he basically spent the last five minutes of the game, uh, you know, vocally scratching his head about why you know they don't go with that lineup more often. And the easy answer here uh, is that Isaiah Roby struggles playing without fouling I mean that that's kind of the one uh, hiccup here is uh, yes that's their best group but I think they're kind of picking their spots as to when they want to play Roby and so they're sticking with Jordy to start the game kind of getting the first five or so minutes um, you know under his belt uh, and then bringing Roby in off the bench and to you know to Roby's credit he's thrived in that role but the reality is for a guy that's averaging only 19 minutes a game he leads the team in fouls so I mean that that's That's what it is. That's why they're not making that move because they would much rather keep Roby on, you know, playable and late in the game. And, you know, the old saying, it's not who starts the game, it's who finishes. And so it's, you know, not ideal. Obviously, you would want to put your best five out there. And there's no question that, you know, Roby is included in that group. But you know, I think it's more of a strategy thing and keeping you know your best five available to close out games. And now Nebraska,
2: Robin. Uh, before we wrap it up here, almost a must-win game than Tuesday um, in PBA um, against Wisconsin. The Badgers are nine and seven, but two and one in the Big Ten. So they've gotten a couple of conference wins. Ethan Hap, seventeen point one points per game. Yeah, he's a stud. Um, Brad Brad Davison is their second guy, eleven point nine. Ethan Hap's averaging eight point three rebounds. Um, also leads them in assists. So he's an all conference caliber guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a, a game, though, they have to win, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, and they should win because it's at home. And, you know, we talked about it, the the key to making a tournament run is win the games you're supposed to win at home. And right now, uh, they'll probably be favored in that game. In fact, kenpom.com has them with a 58% chance to win it. I'd probably put it a little bit higher if Nebraska plays. The way that we know they're capable of so uh, that's again yeah I put that in a must win situation just because of you know this is conference play every game is so so crucial especially when you talk about you know kind of taking those home games for granted Uh, Nebraska's had a home court advantage all season long and that needs to carry over into the grind of league play
2: all right when we come back uh, we're gonna take your questions in the mailbag Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson will join us that's next here you're listening to the Husker Online show
1: this is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I don't think it's a challenge. I think it's an opportunity. And that's why he, that's, I think, one of the only reasons why he left. I think
0: in their side of the division, I think it's an immense opportunity. I think he will have every resource available to him. He needs his Mackenzie Milton, right? I mean, where's my Mackenzie Milton? Is it going to be the top 300 QB that he got this year out of California that's going to enroll early and going to take some lumps as a freshman it may be Uh, but ultimately that's what he will need there.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show that was ESPN's Brock Heward with me down in Atlanta Um, when I asked him the question um, what kind of challenge this will be for Scott Frost to kind of bring this system into the Big Ten that was his response that it's an opportunity it's not a challenge and Uh, A lot of Husker fans liked what Brock Hewitt had to say um, going into Monday's game, and I think they liked it even more after seeing Monday's game. But let's talk mailbag here. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, we bring in Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson here uh, with plenty of questions this week on the mailbag.
1: Well, knowing what you guys know now, especially after being in Atlanta for a week with the coaching staff, the new coaching staff, What would you set the over/under for as wins for next year? This is not a prediction on wins, but what would you set the over/under for right now on January fourth?
2: I think I I hover in the six to eight window. Um, I still look at that road schedule, and if if you're a realist, you have to think that you know of the five road games. You know Vegas is going to have Nebraska probably picked to lose four of them. Northwestern being the most favorable road game now that we know Clay Thornton's even. Uh, situation and Justin Jackson's gone. Northwestern's gonna, you know, be a good team like always, but that that's a game that you would think Nebraska is gonna have a legitimate chance. in. but at Wisconsin, at Michigan, at Ohio State, at Iowa, um, will not be easy games. Um, so I, I think if they were able to get to seven next year um you know and, and make it look good that would be a great season um knowing kind of what they're, they're coming off of in the schedule they face this year
3: yeah i'm in that seven to eight range too because i think their home schedule sets up pretty well they can win all seven of them yeah and maybe that michigan state game is probably the most difficult they on go six
2: there. and one then yeah yeah
3: so if you can find a way to beat northwestern on the road and then who knows what i was going to be i mean if, if they can find a way to to win that one i mean that's obviously a lot of season to be played there, then you're really looking at eight, eight, nine, maybe. So I think 7 is probably, in in my opinion, on the low range and certainly attainable given that home schedule.
2: Now Troy comes to Lincoln, and that that almost, you could argue, is going to be as difficult or more difficult than the Colorado game. Um, When you saw Troy going to LSU last year, they are the best Sun Belt team year in and year out. They're probably a grade higher than Arkansas State. Um, so that will not be an easy game when Nebraska plays Troy. We know Colorado is going to be a challenge um, because they have Pac-12 talent, at least, and they've gotten better each year under Mike McIntyre. They didn't make a bowl game. But then Akron, too, that's a sneaky hard game. Akron uh, played for the MAC championship this year. So they're three non-conference games, um, yeah, they're going to be favored in all three of them, but they're not just automatic Idaho State gimmies either. So it will be... You know, get, just getting to that six to eight level, I think, is kind of what you have to think right now. Would be kind of the window you're shooting for, Matt.
1: Well, Troy returns some guys as well as their coach, so I think that's the most important thing for Troy. They could give Nebraska a game this year. Uh, so, the next question: at, at what day and time does the Sioux Strength Complex open? But the real question is: With what you guys saw in UCF outmuscling Auburn in that game, what do you expect from strength and conditioning this spring?
2: Yeah, uh, I talked to Zach Duvall the new strength coach, um, at practice on Friday when I was in Atlanta and a very nice guy, really impressed just visiting with him for a few minutes. And um, he said, typically, you know, classes are beginning on January 8th. Um, They will begin the strength program a week later, probably January 15th is when they'll begin, um, as they like to let guys have a week to acclimate back in classes in the semester. Um, So that's kind of the tentative plan right now. Um, But I think the thing that jumps out to me from what I've heard is the lack of injuries, and that also falls on strength and conditioning. Uh, Scott Frost has made this comment this year that this team – had the fewest amount of injuries he can ever remember, and that falls on your strength coach and how he gets the guys ready.
3: Yeah, there's no question about it. And we saw, too, uh, against an Auburn team that was supposed to be so much bigger, stronger, faster, um, Central Florida went blow for blow with them and it, it sometimes was the aggressor. And so you don't do that without being a very well-conditioned and strong and fast team. And so I think that that's probably the um, you know first and foremost uh, the aspect of what this winner is going to be. There's going to be um, a weeding out process and guys that aren't willing to put in the work to get to that level are going to have a hard time and so i would fully expect to see some some attrition happen of guys you know um deciding this this isn't uh, something i want to deal with anymore and that, that's a good thing for nebraska
2: you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan robin washett with matt Reynoldson taking your questions in the mailbag
1: well there's a lot of hype surrounding this new regime right now, uh, along with about half a dozen early enrollees, a possible transfer from Ole Miss and Breon Dixon. So that spring game uh, in mid-April really starting to look attractive. Do you think it'll be a sellout at this point?
2: I wrote this after the game that if this spring game, um, I think I actually wrote it in my three-two-one too. if this spring game is not a sellout, then there'll never be a spring game that sells out. Uh, because I've seen the numbers, I've seen the traffic, I've seen the excitement that's out there with Husker fans Um, In the midst of a foreign aid season, of all things, and if they don't sell this out, I don't know if they could ever sell spring game out. So I think if there is a year that Nebraska sells it out, and we're going to know on signing day, February 7th is typically when Nebraska opens up ticket sales. I imagine a
1: huge
2: push of ticket sales that opening day. Probably the biggest push that we've seen on an opening day of ticket sales, Robin, in spring game history.
1: I agree.
3: Uh, I mean, the excitement level is too high right now. When Scott Frost was uh, introduced before the Kansas game, the a level of passion and enthusiasm from the fan base. I mean, there were grown men whose like voice were yeah! cracking as they were cheering Scott Frost. So, I mean, it, it will never reach this level. I don't care who they hire. I mean, this is the ultimate. And so like, I'm with you, Sean. If, they, if it doesn't happen this year, it's never going to
1: happen. And so I would I'd probably put my money on, yes, it will sell out. Is there a coach that's surprised you guys so far on the recruiting trail? Uh, maybe outside of Ryan Held, because we've talked so much about him. What, what other coach has has surprised you guys? Like?
2: You know, it, It's so early still um, because these guys have only had a week or two, but I just think, in general, the organization of their team, um, you know, the behind the scenes guys led by Sean Dillon and ryan callahan and 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 the job those guys have done. It's been impressive to see them, um, you know, have a plan and 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 find new targets. And you know, immediately, you know, after the first signing day, you know they're already getting their board reshuffled with new new names, new targets, and everybody in the country is scrambling. Only twenty percent of the players are still available, and a lot of people are fighting for those final twenty percent. So um, I just think the game plan in general they've had to to kind of reshuffle things and, and keep things going and, and they're going to be able to capitalize matt on this momentum that they've had um with this peach Bowl. they could sell this at nebraska like it happened at nebraska
3: yeah and you know he hasn't been able to do much yet but uh, talking with some of the central florida media we were at the peach Bowl. Uh, They all said, I mean, basically the consensus was Sean Becton is the number one recruiter on this staff. I mean, he was a recruiting coordinator uh, the past two seasons, and uh, I think that he's well respected um, with just his not only ability to recruit, but uh, like you talked about, Sean, the organization and their approach, and now that he has the resources and the brand name of a Nebraska, it's going to be pretty exciting to
1: see what they're going to be able to do with Becton leading the charge.
2: All right, we got time for one more here, Matt, in the mailbag.
1: Well, sticking with the recruiting theme. Uh, Mario Verdusco has been very uh, impressive on the recruiting trail so far with Adrian Martinez who's been one of the best performers at the Under Armour All America game and practices so far so back to quarterbacks once again and quarterbacks that are already on college rosters Joe Burrow and Noah Vedrill which you take or both
2: well I think Noah Vedral, we're going to know here within the week um, because if he transfers to Nebraska, I believe he'll want to be here for the opening day classes on Monday, and and they wanted to get through the Peach Bowl before they kind of looked at that situation and kind of discussed the options. So, I would expect Joe Bur- I would expect Noah Vedral to be here. Uh, I think with Joe Burrow, it's going to be probably first of all what happens in Columbus. Can he win the job? Because that's still not over yet. He can win the job still, um, and then secondly. Um, what happens here at Nebraska with the quarterbacks in the spring? And is there a road that would be paved for him to win the job? Uh, Because maybe somebody will emerge where it would be tough for a new guy to come in and win the job in August uh, based on what we saw in the spring. So I think if you're a guy like Joe Burrow with two years of eligibility and you want a grad transfer, you're going to try to find somewhere that guarantees you really two solid years to start.
3: Yeah, and I guess reports coming out this week about Joe Burrow is that he's right now leaning towards coming back to Ohio State in 2018. So obviously he's got a lot of competition that needs to play out, but with the way things stand right now, it looks like he will be a Buckeye again next season.
2: All right. When we come back on the show, we're going to switch over to recruiting. Nate Klaus will join us over the phone. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, it wasn't easy, but, you know, we don't make excuses. We found a way to get it done. We told the guys we loved them and cared about them,
0: and we were here for them. You know, we worked, you know, we had two hats, all right, and I think we did a great job on both ends. And uh, you know, I'll remember this forever. And then, you know, obviously tomorrow morning we wake up and and uh, we got to move forward.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Nebraska running backs coach Ryan Held with me, following the Peach Bowl, just talking about what this last month has been like for the new staff. And we shift the focus now over to recruiting. Uh, Sean Callahan joined now over the phone by Husker Online's Nate Klaus. As Nate, um, it is All Star Game. Week for Nebraska, and um, you know, as far as recruiting guys out in all-star games, and I think the big one that a lot of people have been watching closely all week has been quarterback Adrian Martinez. He's in the uh, Under Armour All-American game, Um, and you know, a lot of people this is the first time they've seen him play this year because of a shoulder injury. And from all accounts, um, he's been arguably the most impressive quarterback in the practices throughout the week um, down in the Florida area.
0: Yeah, it's been really impressive to. To hear the reports back from his performances down there, and you know, he always those sort of games are always difficult because you're bringing a bunch of kids from all over the country into one place, and and you know, a lot of times they're they're running new plays that they haven't run before, they lack chemistry and timing and, and things of that nature. But uh, from everything that we've been hearing, Adrian Martinez. Has been pretty much right on the money. Um, has been the most accurate passers from the nicest deep ball. Uh, seems to uh, seems to be performing extremely well, uh, which is impressive considering, you know, some of the other quarterbacks that are there. There's, there's a lot of, um, you know, some, some five-star quarterbacks and, and some quarterbacks that are actually ranked higher than he is uh, at that event. And, and he's been by far the most consistent.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Line shows. we talk recruiting with Nate Klaus. And sticking on that topic of quarterback Nate, um, you know, there's been a lot of questions what direction they're going to go with this position. Uh, we all got to see McKenzie Milton play again in the bowl game on Monday. And clearly Nebraska doesn't have a lot of guys that kind of fit that mold. And um, they are loading up. It, it appears Nebraska is very much now in the market, Nate, to add a second quarterback here to this 2018 recruiting class.
0: Yeah, they definitely would like to add another quarterback uh, to this roster because I think ideally most teams would like to carry at least four scholarship quarterbacks right now. And when you include Martinez, uh, they've got three with uh, uh, Tristan Jebia and Patrick O'Brien. So um, I think that's uh, Tanner Lee's departure has kind of opened the door for them to bring in another quarterback. And they've offered a couple of dual-threat guys and then a couple of athletes that, that play quarterback uh, that, you know, if, if they kind of are able to refine their, their throwing motion and, and refine a few things with quarterback coach Mario Verduzco, uh, they could become pretty pretty dynamic uh, players. And, and if not, the good thing is is they could potentially, you know, find themselves playing another position a couple years down the road. But uh, the main guys that they're going after is James Foster out of Alabama. Jamari Joyner, who's actually uh, committed to Arizona, and we all know that uh, with the Rich Rodriguez situation, um, you know he's kind of open uh, to taking, taking a look at some other schools. He'll be visiting Nebraska. Matthew Tago is, is a really interesting player that will be visiting on January 12th. He's uh, out of California, 6'4", 225 pounds. Uh, a lot of schools have been recruiting him actually as a linebacker or defensive end and a tight end. Uh, but Nebraska likes him as a quarterback. He threw for uh, well over 3,000 yards and rushed for about 1,100 yards, I think it was. So uh, he's a pretty dynamic athlete. Uh, and then Cameron Taylor out of Alabama as well so it kind of fits that mold of being kind of a do-it-all player, but um, primarily played quarterback for his team this past season. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, you know, with these quarterback prospects. There might even be some more that pop up, but, uh bottom line is they definitely would like to add one more
2: in this class. And, Nate, uh, with the news now of Nick Gates and Tanner Lee going pro, Stanley Morgan coming back, the Huskers are at 77 players on scholarship today right now, which means they can take 11 more to be at the 88 number you're allowed to be at per Big Ten signing day rules. Now, that number could grow to 12 to 13 um, it's going to allow Nebraska to get creative, maybe look for another JUCO, obviously sign more high school guys, potentially look for a transfer. And we've seen Nebraska um, already uh, approach one transfer target, Breon Dixon. I talked to him uh, on Wednesday night, an old Miss linebacker that played as a true freshman, a former Rivals four-star recruit. Um, would be supposedly immediately eligible because of um, the transfer situation. At Old Miss, being ineligible for bowl games. Uh, what's your thoughts on Dixon, and, and what do you know about him from when he was coming out of the high school ranks?
0: Well, I know. I mean, he's a highly recruited kid coming out of high school. is a four star prospect uh, coming out of uh, Grayson High School, Loganville, Georgia. Same high school that's produced uh, current Husker uh, Muhammad Barry. Um, you know, and, and, and a, he was a, a dynamic athlete in terms of his ability to play linebacker and safety. I know when you look at Ole Miss's website right now, on their roster, is actually listed as a DB. Uh, so I think he brings a lot of versatility to the table. Um, he's, he he could play safety, he could play linebacker, uh, and I think he could play a number of different spots uh, for this defense and. Um, you know, like, like you said with, in your conversation with him, he, he Nebraska sees him as, as being a playmaker um, and, and they could utilize his athleticism in a number of different ways. So if they're able to get him, which it seems like, you know, definitely pointing in that direction uh, with him taking a visit on January 12th, uh, he would be a welcome addition to that defense. And it'll be interesting to see exactly where, where they slot him or what they see him doing. Um, you know, once spring ball rolls around.
2: And now, Nate, uh, the dead period will last through next week. Um, Now, Nebraska will have visitors in the weekend of January 12th. You already mentioned Breon Dixon. Can coaches then go out Thursday as well to do in-home visits? Do you know, what's the full, give Husker fans an idea of kind of what's going on right now with the recruiting calendar?
0: Yeah, so January 11th is the last day of the dead period. So, theoretically, on the 12th, the, the coaches could go out, And and have, you know, be in high schools throughout the day, have some home visits at night, um, and then, you know, make their way back to Lincoln for the big uh, recruiting weekend. There's, I think we've confirmed six or seven uh, official visitors so far for the the weekend of January 12th. And and I think that we're going to see that that visit list even grow a little bit more. I I think that they're going to try and front load the 12th and the weekend of the 19th. Uh, with a lot of their top guys that they're really wanting to get in the boat and uh, you know and see if they can kind of cash in on some of that momentum from the Peach Bowl and, and everything that we've seen happen over the dead period. So, uh, But that's kind of the, the lay of the land here. Things are still kind of quiet. Uh, they can't have any personal contact, uh, but there's still a lot of communication that's going on, and uh, things will get real interesting once the dead period ends on the 12th.
2: And there's four recruiting weekends left, right? The 12th, the 19th, the 26th, and then the first weekend of February, correct? Yes, that's correct. And so, do you anticipate Nebraska will kind of have a hodgepodge in all four of those weekends?
0: Yeah, as of now, I mean, we've we've confirmed visitors for all four of those weekends so far. Uh, now, obviously, some of these guys are going to drop off the board uh, as some needs get filled, um, and, and there's going to be new names that pop up on the board as you know, as some other players maybe dropping off the board. So it's going to be kind of a fluid situation, but like I said, I, I think that what we're going to see is them kind of front load these first couple of weekends with a lot of their top targets um, and, and try to get try to secure a commitment from those players as soon as possible so they know kind of what they have, um, you know, so the hay is in the barn, so to speak, leading up to signing day. So there's not a lot of question marks uh, once February 7th rolls around as to you know what guys are still out there what needs may or may not be filled on that day
2: and then lastly nate um you look at kind of how things have played out with central florida winning the peach bowl going 13 and 0 this entire staff coming i mean it really couldn't set up any better because nebraska can probably sell the 13 and 0 season more in a lot of respects than central florida can right now
0: yeah absolutely they can they i mean when you with Scott Frost bringing his entire staff and even his support staff and strength coach and everything, um, I mean, he can walk into any high school, any recruits' living room, and say, "Hey, look, I have the blueprint for turning this thing around. I, we we did it at Central Florida with the with this group of men that are on my staff, uh, and and this strength coach. Um, you know, we we you know we accomplished uh, the basically uh, a minor miracle going from." 0 oh, and 12 to 13 and 0 in just two years. So he, he can he can uh, toot his own horn and 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 really brag on that blueprint of success. And and if they can do it at Central Florida, why not at Nebraska? I think that's what the message is going to be to a lot of these players and to their families. Um, and I think it's going to be well received too. Well,
2: it's going to be a quiet weekend uh, on the recruiting trail, but we know it's going to be a busy, busy final stretch here. So. Uh, Make sure you are on HuskerOnline.com as plenty of news still breaking on the offer front. Nate Klaus and the recruiting team uh, will be on top of that as news continues to break.
1: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.